They like being in classes where they hear things that make them laugh. We all enjoy a good moment of humor amidst the tragedy of everything else. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, has anyone ever told you they enjoyed listening to your talks because you're funny? (laughs) Yes. Actually, on a number of occasions, I've had kids walk up to me and say, I love your writing videos. And I will, of course, say, why? Because you're funny. Right. Not because, oh, you helped me become a great writer, or, oh, because I learned all about topic clincher and essay models. No. Because you're funny. You're funny. Right. But... I am a firm believer that people learn better when they can chuckle every now and then. It just keeps them a little more tuned in, especially kids, you know? Today's kids, and I think everyone today, our minds wander very easily. And when we're listening to something and we're expecting something emotionally or intellectually rewarding, like a story or a bit of humor, it's easier to follow the in-between content. So I know, when I first started working with you at IEW... You started thinking more about this humor, and humor in teaching and speaking, which is what this podcast is all about, and thinking about some of the benefits of that. So can you just tell our listeners, what are some of the benefits of being a teacher and using humor? Well, I got the idea for this. One time, I remember fairly clearly, I was at a conference, and I was talking to a homeschooling mom, and After about five minutes, I just wanted to run. (laughs) I I wanted to get out and not have to listen to this person say another word. And as I was trying to keep my body there and keep my ears somewhat engaged, I was also trying to figure out what is it that this person lacks. Mm that makes them so unengaging. Hmm. And I finally figured it had to be the fact that she just didn't seem to have any mirth, hmm. no no capacity to smile. I even tried to smile and maybe say something funny and just fell flat. And I remember thinking, if I were one of her children... I might have a really hard time being talked to like this mm-hmm. hours and hours a day every day. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of got me on the thought that, well, people like coming to conference talks where they can laugh at things. Mm-hmm. They like being in classes where they hear things that make them laugh. They, We all enjoy a good moment of humor amidst the tragedy of everything else. Exactly. And do you, is this something that 
a person can learn how to do, or is this something well, that they're blessed with? That is what I began to research, mm. is number one, clearly there are people who have just naturally a better sense of humor than others. They laugh more easily, they say things that are a little funnier, humorous, engaging, and other people don't. But I, I began to think, you know, there's an aptitude for humor just like there is in music or foreign language or anything else. But is it something you could learn? Could you actually learn how to be more engaging from a humor point of view? And so I began the study hmm. of humor. The first thing I learned was that there's actually a word for the study of humor. Okay. It is either gelatology, with a hard G, or gelatology, with a soft G. I have not found out which one is the more commonly believed, possibly because it's such a rarely used word that nobody ever says it. Mm -hmm. You can take your pick. If you want to follow the idea of geology, mm. right? So I also discovered gelatology is a subset of the study of linguistics mm. and that there are people in the world who study full you know full time they research this area of linguistics known as gelatology mm. and there's an international humor association evidently they have a big convention every year i've been pondering whether i could go to this conference and call it a deductible business <laughs> expense. <laughs> right, right. But it, it's a large field. One of the first things you get into is, of course, the actual documented, very clear health benefits mm, mm -hmm. of laughter. So there's any number of studies, and anyone who wants to look this up and look for some of the primary sources certainly can, but laughter itself reduces stress. It helps to reduce blood pressure. It strengthens the immune system by increasing your antibodies. It is good for your heart. It's also kind of a natural painkiller mm. because laughter increases the endorphins, mm. which are the, the neurotransmitters that are released. Same thing when you have a checklist and you do something on your checklist and you check it off yes. and you get that good feeling. Yes. And then if you're like us... You have a checklist. You do something that wasn't on your checklist. You write it in and you check it off yes. because you love the endorphins. Well, the laughter has that same release. Mm. And the, the chemical, the endorphin molecule, I believe, is very similar to morphine. Oh, interesting. But a naturally produced mm -hmm. form. Mm -hmm. These are some of the clearly well-established benefits. I actually tried this experiment because I, you know, at my age, going in for a, a new life insurance policy, you have to take a, a medical, short little medical exam. Mm -hmm. But one of the things they do is your blood pressure, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And blood pressure is one of those things that can affect your rating very significantly, right. meaning do you have to pay more or not as much for your life insurance policy. So I got a humor CD. I was driving about an hour back to Tulsa, and then I was going to go for this appointment. And so 
I was listening to all these jokes, trying to laugh out loud as much as I could, and then I started singing goofy songs, and there I am in my car all alone, <laughs> laughing at my own joke and singing my goofy songs, and then I went in, and then I got the report back from the insurance sales guy. Yes. And he said, congratulations on your low blood pressure. Oh, that's awesome. So I thought, well, now we could add to the benefits savings <laughs> if you're forced to buy life insurance someday. <laughs> also, it's good for exercise internally for your diaphragm and your respiratory muscles. And there's a number of stories of people who have cured, essentially, illnesses mm. through, essentially, laughter therapy. Right, sure. One very well-known one was the story of Norman Cousins, who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. I don't remember exactly what it was. And so he basically said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm done here working, and I'm going to focus on my health. And so he ended up watching I Love Lucy oh, dear. reruns <laughs> uh, several hours a day mm-hmm. for six months and was lived another many years past that. I think there's a similar story of Yul Brenner. Hmm. If you're old enough to remember mm-hmm. Yul Brenner, <laughs> that he delayed his demise through laughter. Now, Personally, I think if I were forced to watch I Love Lucy reruns for several hours a day, I would just choose death. Just, (laughs) okay, let me go. I'm done with this. But there is something interesting about the sitcom phenomenon. It's always easier to laugh with someone else. Right. Someone tells a joke and you're all alone or you listen to it. It's hard to kind of get yourself to actually laugh. But if you're in a room full of people and a few people start laughing and then more people and then pretty soon it's easier. Mm -hmm. So it's healthier to laugh when you're with people. You can actually watch this on YouTube. Okay. But there are laughing clubs. (laughs) No joke. I believe this phenomenon is in India, and I, I believe it's also somewhat, somewhat present in China and a few other countries. But these are groups of people who get together in the morning, hmm. and rather than doing Tai Chi or exercise or whatever, they stand around in a circle and will laugh kind of working themselves into this nonstop laughter for 15 or 20 minutes, (laughs) which then, I suppose, gives them all of those health benefits on a regular basis. It sounds odd to you and me, but things that sound odd to us aren't necessarily odd to people in other cultures. Coming to a city near you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a a thought maybe I could start one of these laughter Mm -hmm, clubs, mm -hmm. but... Then I I just thought, well, that might be too much work. So there's the the health benefits. Then, of course, we know that there are emotional benefits. Now, combined with the health impacts of stress are the mental, you know, the emotional and mental impacts of stress. 
And when you have a high-stress situation, it's easier to get irritated or even mm-hmm. angry. It's easier to get kind of depressed or feeling trapped, that right. type of feeling. Right. And kind of so like a vicious cycle. It is, yeah. exactly, a vicious cycle. And so what the studies show is that when you can introduce laughter into stressful situations, then it it's just easier. People get along better. It's interesting that you can't actually be angry and be laughing hmm. at the same time. <laughs> is that true? Well, try it yourself. <laughs> I mean, if you get angry, you probably never get angry, but <laughs> next time you're angry, right, try and tell yourself a good joke or you know, listen to a joke or think of something funny or look at a picture of your granddaughter doing a silly thing and and notice that as soon as the laughter begins, the anger just dissipates. Mm-hmm. It's It seems to be very powerful mm-hmm. and it's connected with the emotions of, of peace and love and pleasure and joy. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of God's great gifts Mm -hmm. to us is the ability to laugh and to use, to have that laughter, especially during the difficult times. In fact, sometimes when things are the worst, people will react to that stress and laugh at things that maybe really wouldn't be funny under a normal circumstance. Okay, I have to tell you a story. That may contradict what you're saying. Okay. As you know, I'm a boy mom. My boys grew up in Southern California, and we spent a lot of time at my sister's pool. My boys, one of their favorite things to do was to throw me into the pool. Yes. And when they were getting older and big enough to be able to do this, I would tell them, stop, do not throw me into the pool. Mm. And I am angry but I am laughing at the same time so mm. that I just succumbed and wound up in the pool every time. Uh-huh. And they thought I was just laughing and I was having fun, but I think I was really angry. I don't really know. <laughs> well, but at least now you can laugh about it and I you're no laugh. longer angry. So maybe <laughs> it took decades for the laughter to diffuse the anger, but it did work. And there are fond memories of getting thrown into the pool by my boys, yes. <laughs> Other studies indicate that in in organizational settings, you know, uh, people do corporate trainings and corporate efficiency and all that, that when there's humor and laughter, it increases participation. I think you are the one that told me in, in any group of any size, it's four people That's right. who do all the talking and interacting and contributing. Yes, so active in in any group of people, if you've got 10 people, you will generally find that four people will be the active participants. They'll be raising their hand. If there are questions, they will ask them. If there's a group of 100 people, it'll be those four people. Yeah. If there's a group of 1,000, it'll be four people. So one of the things that you know we in business world or particularly in an educational setting in yes. a classroom, we want to try hard to get more people Absolutely. involved. Absolutely. And the laughter and the humor, I think, breaks the barrier mm-hmm. so that those who would be less likely to participate, more reticent, feel it's easy. Another factor goes up very significantly is likability. Mm. So we tend to like people who have a good smile, 
who can laugh easily, who can give a good joke, who can take a joke in good spirit, Mm -hmm. don't get offended. We tend to trust those people more. Mm -hmm. And teamwork and creativity, these are all connected with the use of humor Mm -hmm. in the organizational setting. So is that why you tell jokes before all of your writing classes? Well, there's a few reasons I do. One is I I want to break the ice and I want them to like me. I want them to get a good laugh or, or at least a groan, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> sometimes the laugh doesn't come, but the groan does. But I've made the connection. Mm-hmm. So yes, now they're, they're more ready to listen, mm-hmm. whatever I have to say. They're yep. more likely to believe that what I have to say is worth hearing. But I also have noticed, I can almost judge, you know, with a group of kids, I can almost judge their their level of tuned-inness, their, I wouldn't say intelligence, but maybe kind of their group aptitude, Mm -hmm. I guess, Mm -hmm. by seeing, you know, what jokes do they laugh at and... You know, if they don't get a particular joke, I'm thinking, hmm, okay, maybe I need to simplify a little bit the way I talk to them. Or if they do get a joke and it's like, okay, they they picked up on the subtlety of that. So for me, it's a way to learn something about them very quickly. And most of my teaching, you know, is just one shot. I go to a city, I teach for a few days, and I leave and I may or may not ever see any of those kids again. So learning as much as I can about them as quickly as possible allows me to create the best possible two-hour experience that I can. Okay, I've got to ask you, because I know all of our listeners are begging you, please tell us one of your jokes that you would share at a student writing class. Well, it would just depend on, I might look at the group of kids. and. Okay, here we are. There's a couple of us in this room. Tell us a joke. Well, I personally think this is an excellent joke and that people of higher intelligence should really get this joke and think it's funny. So I'm always worried when people don't think this joke is funny, but it's definitely, you know, an adult level joke. I wouldn't try this with a bunch of 11-year-olds, but why did the egg cross the road? (laughs) You know this because I've told you many times. Because it had the inclination. <laughs> Incline. <laughs> roll down the hill. It's the only way it could cross a road, right? If it had the inclination. Probably so, yeah. So I mean, but that's a, you know, that's one joke that kind of checks, you know, a vocabulary level. Uh, my good friend Andrew Kern once said, well, the real purpose of a great education is so you can get every joke. <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure you want to get every joke, but, you know, sometimes they do test your knowledge of various things. Um, you know, I, I would tell you a chemistry joke, but the good ones are gone. Are gone. <laughs> now, if you don't know your periodic table, <laughs> Latin. Okay, let's do Latin. Okay. I know a little. You know a little bit of Latin. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, uh, the centurion walks into the bar and holds up two fingers and says, I'll have five beers for my men. <laughs> two fingers. Right. V. Looks like a V. Right. Or the little boy is kind of dozing off in Latin class, and the teacher calls on him, and he kind of wakes up, and she wants him to conjugate some verb, but he didn't hear what verb to conjugate, so mm-hmm. he says to his buddy, what do you want me to do? And his buddy says, darn if I know. 
So he stands up and he recites, Darn if I know, darn if I not, darn if I not, darn if I namus, darn if I not, darn if I not. <laughs> Maria laughed because she studied Latin. So anyway, you know, those are some of the, uh, you know, ways I have found that humor assists me mm-hmm. in connecting with different audiences in different ways. Kind of the way poetry, you know, a, a funny, silly poem. Then, of course, you know, I started really undermining myself by putting jokes on YouTube. Oh, right. <laughs> so now I'm in a rough spot <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm going to go off and teach some classes this week. And I'm going to probably start and tell one of my excellent jokes, yes. like the pirate mm-hmm. with the wooden leg, the hook for hand, and a, and a patch over an eye. Yes, that's a good joke. And half the kids are going to know it already because <laughs> they watched it on YouTube. <laughs> so this is causing me to have to work harder to understand what makes things funny so I can find or make up some new jokes. Well, but I also think it's a learning opportunity for these students because some of it's knowing that in a social setting, you don't have to give away that you know that you could still enjoy the joke. Oh, no, they don't. No. They want to shout out <laughs> to prove they know the joke. There's a joy in that one. <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> Although, I, I don't know. There, it's interesting how humor and repetition aren't a problem. Mm-hmm. Remember, uh, my son, you know my son pretty well, and when he was young, probably nine years old, his favorite joke was the ice fishing joke. Yes. Do you remember the ice fishing joke? Please tell the ice fishing joke. Well, this guy goes out ice fishing for the first time, and he cuts a hole in the ice, and he drops his line. He's been there 15, 20, half an hour, 40 minutes, and he's not catching a thing, and he's a little you know, frustrated, especially because there's another guy down the ice who is catching a fish every two minutes, got a whole bucket of fish. So he goes down and he says to this older guy, is there some trick or technique that you could share with me to help me with my ice fishing? And the old guy says, mm, 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 mm. And young guy says, I'm sorry, but I, I don't understand what you said. Old guy says, uh, mm, 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 mm. And the young guy says, I, I'm so sorry. I can't make out what you're trying to tell me. And the young guy spits out the <coughs> whatever's in his mouth and holds out his fist holding whatever was in his mouth and says, I said, keep your worms warm. <laughs> right. Okay. My son, would he, he practiced up that joke, and he was pretty good at telling it, you know, at a young age, like nine years old. And he'd tell that joke, and then like five minutes later, he'd say, do you want to hear a joke? Okay, and he'd tell the same joke, and I'd say, "Son, you just told that joke five minutes ago." He'd say, "Yeah, but it's funny. <laughs> like you can you can live in this suspended state where the the humor stretches and recapitulates itself." And well, it's like a classic. What's the definition of a classic? There you go. You can hear it or read it or experience it again and again and again and get more out of it each time. So we're actually running out of time, and I know you have quite a bit more to talk about, specifically the study of why things are funny. Yes, I kind of identified 12 different 
factors, 12 things that can make humor. Okay. And I think that it's possible to kind of look for these things mm-hmm. in life and and even discover some ways that you can, you know, create jokes or at least bring jokes into yourself so that you can represent them, you mm-hmm. can recreate them for people, for your students, your know, audiences, whatever. But one thing, you know, I've come to understand is there's really no new jokes. Okay. All jokes are old jokes. Mm. They're just new people. Right. <laughs> it's just people who ha- haven't heard the jokes before. Yes. Or perhaps people forget your jokes and that's almost as good. Right, right. So before we say goodbye for this week, can you at least leave our listeners with one of the reasons why things might be funny? Well, the first one on my list is just simple misunderstandings or typos where you you think you're saying one thing, but you've said another inadvertently. Mm-hmm. Richard Lederer, in his book, Anguished English, which I have adored, and I always say to anybody, if, if you want to buy one book that will make you laugh and you can read to your kids and make them laugh, that's probably on the top of mm-hmm. my list, mm-hmm. as long as your kids are old enough. Mm-hmm. He's got this one little section of world history according to student bloopers. Oh, I love that. Right? Yes. So uh-huh. students who wrote in various, you know, papers things that they thought to be true, but because of a misunderstanding or a typo. For example, in 19th century Russia, the pheasants had terrible lives. <laughs> Those poor birds. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> or a triangle of 135 degrees is called an obscene triangle. <laughs> and of course, uh, the definition of a virtuoso would be a musician with very high morals. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Good. So that's one of 12? That's one of 12. So if you want to hear the rest of them, please tune in next week where we'll talk on part two of humor in teaching and speaking. Talk to you then. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.